Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty For Her, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. We're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Liberty listeners, welcome to another episode of Liberty Sessions. And today you guys are in for a real treat. I'm in for a real treat as we have Erica Corday with us. And Erica, you probably don't know this. I don't think we talked about it, but I heard you on Amy Porterfield's podcast and then kind of got hooked and went into all your platforms. And it was a season for me where I was kind of doing my own listening and I found your voice to be one that was easy to listen to, easy to engage in, easy to understand, and easy to understand my responsibility and my role in it. So I had to have you as a guest on our podcast. But first, welcome. Welcome to Liberty. Thank you so much. I I will take that introduction. I'm like, wow, okay, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's true. It, it, It is all true. So for our listeners who don't know who you are yet, now they now they do and they're about to know more. You are a multi-passionate entrepreneur at like the highest level. You are a DEI coach and consultant. You run a salon called Silver Immersion, mm-hmm. correct? You got it. And you have your own podcast, Pause on the Play. So tell us a little bit about each of those platforms. So Yes, multi-passionate is very accurate. <laughs> I, I'm i going to start with my salon because that's definitely where everything started. I've been in the beauty industry for well over 20 years now. It's been about 23. And I have just thoroughly enjoyed being able to have that interaction with people and being able to be supportive in ways that they don't tell you that you're going to be when you're learning Mm. in in cosmetology school. And that was a Mm. huge part of what led me to starting Erica Corday, which is my coaching and consulting brand, because I, first of all, kind of realized that like when I found out what coaching was, because I didn't necessarily know. And then when I did, I was like, oh, wait, I've been doing this for years. You mean I can get paid for this? This isn't just something I'm doing (laughs) because I've always been somebody that, you know, being in the conversation and being able to support people, it, comes naturally to me. And it really made me cognizant of the conversations that I was having and how there were a lot more pieces there than what Mm. I just kind of took them for granted. I was having conversations with women that had, you know, high ranking government jobs and having conversations around, I I don't feel comfortable to wear my natural hair. And I don't want this to undermine my reputation or my authority and things of that nature you know, what it looked like to be in multicultural relationships and then have biracial children. All of these pieces were regular day types of conversations. And so that definitely led me to, you know, starting my my training and then becoming an ICF accredited coach and being able to really recognize that DEI was a a way that I was moving through life. I have biracial children. Mm. My husband is white. It's a lens through which everything does show up for me. And it laid the groundwork for pause on the play because it really was, you know, my co-host and I, India's just, it was our conversations. And we re- it really just started as an audio blog. And it was like, oh, we have a podcast. And so we started it. And it's it's still a humbling thing to realize how much people get out of us having conversation. And so mm-hmm. I absolutely love knowing that I have multiple ways to be able to affect change, to support people, and to know that the time that I have here, I'm making it count. Yeah, well, you sure are. Um, can you, uh, well, go into the other platforms too in terms of the the. So it starts in the salon, which we all know because we all have that trusted voice in a salon when we go get, dare I say, our 
grays touched up or our hair colored <laughs> or our hair cut or whatever it may be for you. Mm-hmm. And you have that, you're two hours in a chair, sometimes even more. Right. And those conversations come up. Then you identify that what you are doing and what you have been doing and the conversations that you have been having are in fact that of a coaches. And so you become certified and then the podcast happens. What is the difference in each of those platforms between the person that you're talking to or the person that's listening? Because I imagine Mm. you have someone in the chair that's different than someone who's coming to you for coaching and consulting. Mm -hmm. And that's someone that's different than maybe you can't see who's listening to you. Absolutely. That is such a great question. And I hadn't even thought about that, about it in that way. But yeah, that's huge. Wow. So I think with the clients that I have, the majority of the clients that I have, I have had for well over 10 plus years. And so the gift and the curse with that is I'm watching their kids grow up and go away. And I'm like, okay, wait, no, I wasn't. That that means I got that old, that much older too. So, (laughs) and so there's a lot more familiarity there. And so Mm -hmm. there is a lot of vulnerability and transparency that comes up because this person has a level of trust because they do see you so often. And there is a a certain intimacy, I think, in, you know, having someone Mm -hmm. take care of you in that way with how you show up to the world. I mean, your your hair is a huge part of your identity. And so there's definitely, you know, a little bit of a different level of, of intimacy. And yet there is a certain amount of kind of proximity that you know does make it feel like it's far enough away that I can say something that maybe I wouldn't say to someone else that is going to come back at you know the holiday gathering or whatever so there is a little bit more likelihood of me getting the conversations that maybe they're not sure how to have with some other people because it's like well I don't know if I want someone else to know and so I'm very fortunate in having people give me things that maybe they hadn't vocalized before And I think that that is different in the sense of with the podcast piece, that might be that person that doesn't quite know me and is maybe afraid of what that can feel like. And they're like, I I don't know how to say this yet. I don't know if I I even quite know what words need to come out. I just know that I'm feeling something. And this gives them an opportunity to hear some things that might actually help to shape it into thoughts actions kind of like okay what do I do with this because it's definitely something that I think a lot of of our listeners know that they want to do something different and maybe they're just not sure what not sure how and not sure if they're the person to do it and you know I mention it that way because I feel like those are kind of the polar opposites of it where the people that come to me for coaching and consulting it really is this place of I might not be totally sure on what to do or how to do it, but I know I have to do something and I need help. And I feel comfortable with you and I trust you to help me because one of the big things for me that came up when I started this was I saw so many people doing this work in ways that didn't feel good to me. It Mm. had a lot of shame. It had a lot of blame. You should have known. Why didn't you know, you know, you're, you're, you're a terrible racist and you need to fix yourself. And I don't like to approach things in that way because for me, and I don't think that this is every person doing the work, but I just saw too many threads of it to step into any of that. And I felt like I have no desire to go from feeling as though, you know, I'm the oppressed to being the oppressor. And mm. I have no mm. desire to motivate by shame or blame I that felt counterintuitive to me and so I really do do it in a way that I am not there to put shame or blame on you if you feel something that it's then it's calling you to pay attention to what emotions are coming up but I definitely do it in a way that I want people to know that they can be vulnerable with me they can say something and not feel like I'm going to you know some of my clients that are white women like they're like I don't want to be a white woman coming to a black woman and doing this because that doesn't feel right and it's like no if we're in a learning space like you can this is your space to do this this is a safe space well that's one of the areas where I've found you so inviting um I just to be transparent and some of our listeners know this but my family immigrated from Egypt when I was two years old and I've always felt a little 
well, which, where am I supposed to, am I the oppressor here? Am I, you know, I don't, I haven't experienced many of the things that my black friends have. So I guess that's not me. And I have felt some of the lack of understanding from a white culture because my culture is very different. And so one of the things I think with you is that, and, I, and I'm married to a, a very white man in that he, um, you know, my kids call him Wonder Bread. He's like, no, wait a minute. I'm like English, Irish, Scotch. I'm like, no, just, yeah, okay. Um, so trying to even identify where do I, and I representing so many people in this country, fit into this conversation and where do I have sensitivities and where do I belong and how do I say what I feel like I need to say? And just, again, found, found you to be a, a soft space to land um, and to, to listen and to understand. And I think that must be your secret sauce, that so many people come to you, um, not because, because you're not clear, not because you're not um, firm in your convictions. Let me be clear about that. It's um, it's because the conversation with you is generative and you're trying to get us all collectively somewhere. Um, so thank you for that. It was really important work, but I, I also thought it deserved being called out because many of us are on this spectrum. It's not this side against this side. So that was part of de uh, describing my own situation. What types of clients do you think, well, let me also say this, what happens in the chair in your salon, I bet informs what you talk about on the podcast. And so it's interesting the, how those things intersect for you, right? Oh my gosh, yes. I also want to say thank you for being vulnerable because you didn't have to share anything that you shared. And I think that there's something very interesting and inherently layered when it comes to you know, identity politics and how these things show up and how we process. And yeah. so for all of that and for being willing to kind of model that it's it's possible to wow. to even talk about it and acknowledge it. I appreciate you for that. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Erica. I, you know, I think it, it's when we can hold a space, which is what you're doing professionally for people to do that, I think the heal that's when the healing will begin when we yeah. can see our our ourselves in it others in it when we can remove our defenses i'm getting emotional here but thank you you're welcome thank you for that so um you talk about these three entrepreneurial endeavors did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur no oh gosh yeah. no <laughs> No, a very, a very stark reaction. Why? <laughs> well, I think part of it was I didn't necessarily have it modeled, so I didn't really consider it. Yeah. I think I grew up from a a point of view that you know, as as a black woman, and you know, my my dad passed away when I was twelve, and so my mother was a single mother with mm -hmm. two girls, and there was a lot of subtle and not so subtle programming of like. You have to figure out how to take care of yourself. And that regularly would center around, you know, get a good job. And often it would be like a dependable, reliable job, like something in the government, because that was going to give you a pension. And it was, you know, now granted over the years, we've seen that that's not always consistent because we've seen furloughs and all kinds of things. However, yeah. that's kind of what was given. And so I didn't even really think about the entrepreneurship part. For me, it started off with doing my apprenticeship and then also working multiple jobs to be able to take care of myself, figuring out what that was going to look like and being able to kind of keep going through that in a way that I in time learned that like, oh, okay, well, I could do this on my own with cosmetology. And then I was like, do I really want to? And so yeah. I kind of, you know, definitely categorized myself as like an accidental entrepreneur. But I definitely felt like once it started, I was like, oh, I don't want to go back. Like I, I was I was made for this. Right. Yeah. Like I don't want to work for someone else. And I also realized that, you know, when I first started, the reason that I started was because I felt like I could do it better than the person that I was working for. Hmm. 
So and I assume that in the twenty three years you said mm-hmm. that you've been running your salon, yeah. that you've probably had many employees who've learned from you and the way you do business and the way you kind of host people in these sorts of conversations. And I hope that that modeling has allowed them to go on and do the same in their respective fields, whether they stayed in in cosmetology or moved into another industry. Right. Well, and for me, like I've been in the industry for about 23 years. So I've had my salon now for about 12. But okay, forgive me. Oh no, no. I was like, oh no, I don't know. I don't know that I want to do it for twenty three years. That's a that's a <laughs> lot of time. But it is. I've been fortunate that even before I had my own, I was a cosmetology instructor. I'd been a senior cosmetologist, so I was able to be able to support other people in getting their licenses and things like that. So, you know, management within some of the places that I worked. So I had been in leadership roles over you know the majority of my professional career. And so being able to see how that supported other people in the decisions that they made, how comfortable they were mm. to come to me when there were conversations that needed to be had. If, if they were having difficulty, they needed extra support, you know, what, you know, what, what should I do? And, you know, and so I think it really was an inherent thing to step into a place of like, I want to coach you. And the reason that I bring the consultant piece is because I don't want to leave all of these years of experience behind. So I, I bring that with me. And so being able to say, you know, I can't tell you what to do, but I can give you suggestions and you have to choose what's best for you. I can give you, you know, some guidance. I can go through the full coach way of doing it. I'm going to ask you the questions to get you dig to dig deeper because you know more than what you think you know about the answer here. It's just been a way of doing things. And even though it may look or feel a little bit different in cosmetology or podcasting or the coaching or consulting as two separate things there, it shows up consistently to simply be able to be in a place to listen and then to Mm -hmm. be able to respond and still hold space for that conduit to repeat again. Mm, that's that's good. Uh, one that we can, regardless of the platform or industry, we can take that with us. Yes, uh, I appreciate that. We'll, we'll be we'll be hashtagging that out somewhere. I'm sure. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about you made a distinction between the coaching and the co- consulting because I think a lot of our listeners who are thinking about what's next for them and looking at coaching and consulting often those those two things are. Um, confusing to people. What is the difference between them? And you started to make a distinction. I'd love for you to share a little bit more. Oh, yeah, there is a distinction. And so, again, being someone that I went in and took, you know, months and months and months and months and months of, of, of course, uh, material. I think it was 18 months for me to finish my, wow. you know, all, all of, you know, because I started in one level. And I said, nope, I'll go ahead and go up and my certification, you know, took it took time. And then I had to, of course, test and everything. And the way that you're taught to be a coach, it really is question based. And there's blended coaching and there's pure coaching. Pure coaching is what you have to do in order to be able to be certified. And then from there, if you choose to do blended, you can. Pure is simply it is question based. You are not advising, oh, you should do this. This is, you know, that is very consultant based. And so that's where Mm -hmm. blended coaching comes in because blended coaching allows you to kind of bring some of that um, actual kind of directive piece into it. And so that is a little bit more of like the coaching, the consulting for some people. They can sometimes feel like it's a little bit of a mentor kind of piece that can come in. Um, But with consulting, you're basically like, hey, I've done this. I've done this well. And I'm going to tell you what you need to go do to do it, too. Coaching is not someone telling you what to do. And I think it's so important to have that differentiation because there's a lot of people doing this that are not certified. They don't have any training. They've done nothing to be able to get here. And that is not because life experience doesn't give us things that any course, you know, you you, you can't ex- just switch one for another. But I do sure. think that because the coaching space as a whole is an industry, it is very crowded. And there's a lot of people in it that don't do it well. And I think the same goes for podcasting. People have podcasts that they don't always do it well. And so there's something yeah. to be said about having 
purpose and intentionality and skill and, you know, process around what you're doing, why you're doing it, who you're doing it for, and what the end goal is. Because otherwise it can get very, very muddy and messy. Yeah. I think you just gave us a coaching consulting lesson right there. Thanks for that blended five minute (laughs) lesson. I love that. If you could go back and change one thing about launching any one of these platforms, what would it be? It seems like you've done it right. It seems like you've, I mean, if I think of what you just said with the salon, you learned, you were at different levels in the industry, you managed. So by the time you started, you'd seen what was done well and what wasn't, and you could make those decisions for yourself. Has it been the same with all three platforms? Hmm. I don't think any of it's been the same just because if nothing else, they all happened at different points in time as just like kind of where the world was as well as where I was. Yeah. When I started my wedding business and the salon side of things, there wasn't the same lo- like social media wasn't a thing. Like I didn't have social media uh, platforms or anything for them. Like it was word of mouth. It was face-to-face marketing and networking with people, and it was literally referral-based. So, you know, there was not that pressure of like, what about your Instagram presence? And you have to do this. And Like, no. Like, Mm -hmm. I think I had, like, it might have been Wedding Wire or The Knot, one of the, like, main platforms that people put their information on for wedding people. I'm sorry, those getting married, rather, would, would look and seek vendors. But I didn't have the same type of thing that I had when I started the coaching and consulting, let alone the podcast. I mean, the podcast, again, was completely online, in which case the first time there was very little online. And by the time, you know, and that was back in, what was that, 2008. And wow. Right. And so when you fast forward till now, and I mean, if you, you can just think within the past five years, the need for social media as a part of your marketing platform was completely different. And pause, completely. pause yeah. on the play has got almost 100 episodes. We're, we're getting there. And I mean, it, it's, it's all online. And so yeah. that was just a huge, huge piece of it. So it was just the difference that it was, everything was different. I mean, I didn't have kids when I started my business first time. I now have two. I wasn't married at the time. I now am. So, and the world's in a very different place. So, so many things are different. But if there were anything that I wish that I had that I didn't have as formally or as structured as I would have liked to, would have been either a a true mentor or business, like, I don't know if I want to really want to say classes, but like some, more of a format, because a lot of it mm-hmm. was just figuring it out the hard way. Sure. And so I do wish that I had had more of those things in the beginning to be able to teach me what I needed to know, but also that whole like, hey, but you don't have to do everything. Like, you can get a bookkeeper, you know, you can get somebody to help you with your marketing. And so it very much felt like I ran so much of it solo way longer than I probably needed to, but I didn't know. Yeah. And I also didn't I, know that there was an alternative. Yeah. Well, there's something about entrepreneurship, the word that I think is synonymous with like, I can do all things. And it that's just not the case. Yeah. And the more you talk to entrepreneurs who are on the other side of that startup, who've had the success of surviving the first five years, the more often you will hear, I didn't do it alone. I finally got you know, X, Y, and Z to help me. And one of the questions I often ask, so I'll ask you is, what was the, who was the first person you hired? And I don't mean the name of the person, but that role, what was the first role that you hired out when you had a little bit of money? Hmm. I feel like I have two answers. I feel like the, the first thing that I had that actually really helped was a bookkeeper. Like that was the thing because I tried VAs when it came to some of like the office type of support. And that was me also learning that I needed to clearly know what I needed and what I wanted from them to be able to also figure out the best fit for that. So that, that I, that's not even their fault. That was my fault. But I really started with subcontractors for the wedding piece because in, and with the business, I had booth runners that worked in my salon still do, but 
we did a lot of on-site work with photo shoots and weddings being the primary thing. And so having subcontractors so that more work could be taken on, but I didn't have to do all the work was one of the first things. And that was why I was able to really grow the name and the brand the way that I was. It wasn't because I was out doing all of these weddings and all of this hair and makeup. It was because I hired other people that were amazing at what they did and they were able to navigate wedding days and all of the jitters and the stress and the family dynamics and crank out beautiful work on time. And they, 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 they did it well. That right there changed everything. Well, and it allows you as a business owner to expand and contract as needed when they're hired out, when they're not full-time employees. And you get to be working, uh, we say this all the time, on your business, not just in your business, which is oftentimes what happens in those first few years, right? We're so buried by the work that we set out to do that we forget to do the administrative work, the vision work, the planning work, the systems work, mm-hmm. which is, you know, to your point of the hiring the VAs. And the, I mean, I, I almost laugh because I have had so many situations, whether it's an intern or a VA or somebody that I'm like, okay, this is going to be like my administrative, like right arm. And I find that most of the time they're like, okay, hey, what, what next? What next? I'm like, I don't know. Can't you just fix it all? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it is, it's, it's often, the fault of the person of of the the founder, right? right. Who doesn't have their ducks in a row. Um, okay, thank you for that. Now I want to transition a little bit more into picking your brain, and I want to focus on the DEI work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And just for our listeners, and you and I are, are have already talked about this. The questions I'm asking you are about your business in that space. This is not us having a lesson from you because then I would need to pay you for that work. And so I encourage all of our listeners to check out ericacorday.com. All of this will be in the show notes so that they can do that work with you. And you have masterclass, you have a a community, like a membership. Mm -hmm. People can hire you one-on-one. So there's lots of ways to work with you. There's no, there's no shortage. You can also listen to the podcast, by the way. Absolutely. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your specific work. This this season, we're focusing on pivoting stories. And so I wanted to hear about your work relative to all that has come down in 2020, this kind of racial reckoning, this season that we've been in. For many, I'm sorry to say, this first-time awakening and for many others, this, oh, here we are again. What happened for you in that, in this last year? What happened for you as things have shifted dramatically? I think the beauty of it is that my message stayed the same. And knowing that what I was saying was what I was saying was what I was saying, that was very helpful so that when things did hit this point of everybody trying to push all of this immediacy my way and needing what I was doing. I didn't feel like I need to get clear on my message or I'm not sure what I'm talking about or who I'm speaking Mm. to or what the benefit is that I can get them or ways that they can work with me. That existed. It existed. And so it was very helpful to know that when all of a sudden, what felt like overnight when George Floyd was murdered, People were like, wait, I need to fix this now. When they all showed up, which it it still was a lot and it still carried its own, its own emotional, emotional heaviness because there was a point of like, business is great. And how do I feel about receiving this sudden influx based on watching someone be murdered on film for eight minutes and 46 seconds? which I still have not to this day watched the film because I refuse. But knowing that that was the catalyst that really did shake people up to no longer be able to say, oh yeah, I know I should, but I'll get it done. And there was, I mean, it, it still is a little bit of a challenging thing because of course, like I want people to have a need for this, but to know that it usually comes from something that, no one should have to be prompted to do things with that type of stimulus that that's challenging. 
And so I had to figure out what it looked like to take care of myself in this moment where so many people were were seeking care, seeking, mm. you know, guidance, seeking knowledge and just seeking support on how to be better. And I had to go from having this place of being able to support people and knew that if at that point it really did still feel spacious to all of a sudden feeling like I am taking on way more than I would at any given time because I also, I don't feel good feeling like I am letting another person go to not do the work. And so there were definitely mm-hmm. points that I took on way more than I should have for my own emotional sanity, not because I wasn't serving clients well, not because I couldn't do it, but because it was a lot and it was heavy. Like just the still being a black woman in America doing this all at the same time. And we're stuck yeah. at home during the pandemic, which and I had two kids that I'm yeah. trying to, you know, navigate this as well as dad's still going to work. And it's just, it, that was a lot. And so the beauty of it was that we had already launched our community, which the challenge was, of course, we launched it in March and then the world blew up. And so there was that. But it really did begin to look differently in that what does it look like to give people options to do this in different ways? And it doesn't all have to be one on one. And so workshops became a much larger part of my business model because it did give me the opportunity to do one to many. And because I'm only one person and I can only do but so much of everything is one-on-one based. So it really was about being able to have these different ways that I work with people and being able to really pay attention to what's going to make as much impact as possible while not sacrificing myself at the same time because nothing is going to be worth that. And so I think for me, what happened was really having to pivot to see what can I do? What am I willing to do? And what do I need to do? And being able to kind of figure that out for myself as well as those that I wanted to serve. Do you think, and that kind of self-care, by the way, is I think important for anyone who is an entrepreneur and who is trying hard to get their work out. And then it's loaded when you feel like the work you're doing is necessary work. Many of us can say, well, it's not rocket science. We know I'm not curing anything, but you are. (laughs) You are doing that work. And so the burden becomes greater in in the type of work and people that you want to serve. And then on top of it, you are a black woman who has navigated all of this. And so then there's the emotional burden and the the self-care involved there. And I honestly, I can't imagine. And then the two kids and the pandemic and the, I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. God, God bless you, lady. <laughs> God bless you. But that that's a lot. That's a lot to take on. And in a season when I think people weren't, people were being more careful, at least that's my understanding or my experience, And so then it almost, you were probably put in a position where you had to pull more out of people and keep reminding them that this is a safe space. Mm -hmm. And that's exhausting. Yes. So I wonder if in the workshops versus the one-on-one, that was alleviated a little bit because people could hear from other people. I guess it depends on the, the space that you created. But was that the case? It It is. And yes, people people were definitely doing it at that point because they were very much like, they, I mean, they were afraid. They had seen what happened when you did something wrong online. Yep. And it was just like, I don't want that. And so there was that fear and that trepidation from that point. And yet at the same time, there was it was almost like watching somebody that like was standing on the sidelines and yet ready to like jump in with double dutch like that like back and forwards kind of rocking motion of like i'm ready to do it at the same time they're like but i can't do this (laughs) all at the same time and i think that the workshops did provide first of all most of the time what would happen is the leaders would show up and they'd say you know i want to do this for my community or my staff or you know insert group of people here and when they come to me 
that already took something off of those that were um, participating because they did not have to raise their hand and say, can you please do this for me? There was somebody else that had seen the need, had you know heard the conversations that were being had, or in some cases, the ones that maybe people were nervous to have and said, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and organize this and all they have to do is show up. But then what happened is, is being in that room, first of all, you were able to have this space where I am, I am telling you this, you didn't have to seek me out. I am starting with this. So I always kind of make sure that everybody knows from the, you know, the word go, like, I'm not here to shame you. You know, this is a safe space. And so then when they're listening to everyone else, you begin to kind of see a little bit of an avalanche effect because everybody's like, oh, I can, it is okay to talk. It is okay to feel. And you'll begin to see in the chat, like all of a sudden, like someone will say something and they're like, oh my gosh, me too. And so now you're getting this community piece showing up because it's like, this is what happens when people are sharing. And one of my favorite things to see is when there is a group that is diverse, particularly from gender and race and age and socioeconomic status in that you'll have some people that will feel as though, yes, I'm going to ask all the questions. And then you have the ones that are like, uh, I don't know if I can. And I don't know if yeah. it's safe for me to. And so I remember one in particular where I specifically in the very beginning of it said, I know that right now that there are people of color that don't feel like they can have the conversation and they're not a part of it as if they don't have their own work to do or that they're not experiencing their own trauma and they have no, no space to speak up and feel as though they're heard because they're being drowned in everyone that's like, I didn't know that race was a problem and now I need help. And seeing the people in the room when I said that, exhale and their shoulders drop and they're like, okay, I don't have to be the person that someone's going to come and tap on me and say, what do you think? And they could right. be a part of it. And their, their wants and needs could be addressed too. And it wasn't just, well, this isn't for me. Because I did have some people of color that were like, the white women in the room have completely sucked out all of the air and I can't exist here. And so the fact that I showed up and said like, hey, no, 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 this is for you too. Please understand that I'm not going to other you or make you feel like you can't, like you need this because I know how it feels and I know how, where I am. And I want you to know that you don't have to do this because just because you're, you're a black woman or you're of, of color does not mean that the other people that you're working with now have a license to come and assume that you do DEI or anti-racism work. And so in this space, that's what I do. You send them here. Mm. You talk to me about this. Don't put this on your coworkers. So it also reminded people to be aware of that. And I really appreciate the opportunity to bring up those types of things because there's so much going on and yet there's layers and layers of nuance that get lost in such a heavy and powerful and necessary conversation. Yeah, absolutely. You have a great quote, I guess, on your podcast. I'm going to read it really quickly. And it just says, frankly, we're tired of the woke Olympics because the fact is we all have our work to do. Don't wait to get your shit together. This is a place to figure it out. <laughs> and I think that that exists. I mean, that statement could very much be on your DEI, ericacorday.com website as well. <laughs> and it's a, it's great to hear from you that it is okay for us to come in our broken wokeness or lack of wokeness, no matter who we are and where we're coming from. Because we want we want to do good and in that we can the active part uh, of just listening and and not doing can get a little bit lost so mm -hmm. i i appreciate that you talk a lot about what it means to be an imperfect ally and i'm asking you this question and it was vetted i i know i can ask you this question <laughs> so what does that mean what does it mean to be a, an imperfect ally and how do you model that so an imperfect ally is someone that sees someone that doesn't look, live, or love the way that they do and recognizes that the access that they have, the privileges that they have, the safety that they have, that all of these things are not as easily and freely given or accessible to them as it is to you. And it's this place of saying, I can see that I have things that you don't. I don't have to want for them and you do. And that's not okay. 
And so I am going to do my work to shift things and to create equity in order to move toward a place of equality. Mm. And I'm not going to do it perfectly. I don't know it all. I'm going to put my foot in my mouth and I might screw it up. I will acknowledge, I will apologize and make amends, learn how to do better and keep moving. It's a very complete uh, answer. And I think one that I, I what was the first, the first three words, if they don't look, love, look, or what? live or love the way that I do and look, live or love. Okay. Mm-hmm. I like that. And that came up because I did a lot in my wedding business around the fact that, and this was before ah. marriage equality even became legal because being someone whose husband is white and literally having like my son who both of my children are very aware and like I remember my son and he was maybe four or five at the time he was like mommy I'm so glad that we didn't live back in those days and who knows what he meant by that but he understood what it meant because he said if we lived back then then we couldn't all live in the same house together oh my gosh and so he knew what that meant my son at four sat down one day for me to put his shoes on and said mommy police are bad and it was just a very matter of fact statement he wasn't upset I don't know where it came from And I had to converse and I'm like, no, police are not bad. Some people are just not good people because my my children are not the children where you give them like the easy surface la-di-da answer like no. And so I met him where he met me. And so they're aware of these things. And so Mm -hmm. it was something that, you know, marriage equality for me felt very much like a modern day interracial marriage like synonym in so many ways. And I'm like. Yeah, this is not okay. And so for me, the way that people chose to, you know, want to be married because they loved someone and wanted to spend their life with them and someone said that you couldn't, like I, no. Like, first of all, I just don't believe in that whole concept if I'm going to tell you what you can or can't do. But at Mm -hmm. the same time, like I could see what that looked like because I understood what that looked like we had experienced racism we'd had people say things like we knew what that looked like and so it didn't make sense to me to do wedding services and to not acknowledge that so that was definitely a a part of kind of the pivoting of the messaging and making it very clear that we advocated for beauty you know coming in all shapes sizes and textures but that love is love all love is love And so really being able to step into that definitely was another piece that set the stage for DEI coaching for me. It's amazing how intertwined your work as a salon owner and working intimately with people in the salon has informed your DEI work. I mean, it makes sense as I'm hearing it now, um, but they are so sort of intricately woven and they inform each other. It's really beautiful. And there's another, I don't have it in front of me, but you say something on the website, on the Silver Immersions website, like this is not a place for everybody. What, why do you, why do you say that? What, what, who is it not for? It's funny because I have this conversation a lot because when people talk about inclusion, they kind of look at it as an all call. And I don't look at it as an all call. I feel like inclusion is about those that want to be included, being able to be included. And so using silver immersion as an example, there would be some people that weren't okay with same sex marriage or, you know, interfaith relationships, second marriages, Mm -hmm. third marriages, not wanting to wear a white wedding dress, basically just bucking tradition in any, any way, shape or form. And for me, it's important to make it so that those that understand those concepts and want people to have that freedom to seek joy wherever they can find it, which sadly joy feels like it's at a premium. Mm. I am not going to hold space for people that want to counteract that in any way, shape or form. And so the inclusion is really about those that want to be included, knowing that they can be seen, those that aren't readily included in other places, being able to see themselves centered. And so if for some reason doing that makes you feel as though you are not included, it's probably because you're not included. 
Wow. And is there a practical way in which you see that or hear that when somebody's booking an appointment and you say, eh, maybe this isn't for you? Or do you feel like by posting that on the website, you're keeping people from coming in your doors that might think that way? That definitely helps. I don't think I've ever had anyone that kind of came in and was like, oh, I didn't know. And so when we really first started going in that direction, I remember specifically writing a blog post, really kind of announcing that this was what I wanted to do. And I remember specifically saying, and if you're not okay with this, kick rocks, because I felt like you don't need to be here. And so I do think that that helped to create a little more of a filter so that it did let some people know that they weren't welcome, but it also made a lot of people feel welcome. I remember doing a bridal show specifically where we had like, you know, the monitor set up and had, you know, video kind of looping of photos of past clients. And, you know, it came over and they were like, I just want you to know if I didn't already have somebody, I would book you simply because I don't see myself represented. And you Mm -hmm. showed someone that represented the love that, you know, me and my girlfriend have. And for that, I just wanted to come over and say thank you. Wow. And so there are times that those kinds of comments and I've gotten them in the in the emails and all that. Like sometimes that's more important than the person in the books because that let me know that you felt seen, you felt valued. And the fact that the alternative was there and I was able to provide that whether or not you even realized it before you you saw that. That right. to me that's the gift. Yeah. I don't want to diminish the humanity of what you just said, but I want to point out how smart that is as an entrepreneur, that the more defined we get in who we are and who we serve, Mm -hmm. the more we distinguish ourselves from what you talked about earlier in this conversation with all the noise, all the noise with podcasts, with coaching, with consultants, with salons, with whatever it is we do, the more clearly defined we are the more we can serve the people we want to serve and I think become reputable in a space that means something to us. And so mm-hmm. once again, Miss Erica, my hat's off to you. I so I want to, before we get into our fast five, which is a fun little thing we do at the end, I just want to ask, is there any kind of, as we go into 2021, is there any Are there any parting words that you would have for an entrepreneur who's looking at, and I'm I'm just going to call it what it is, a black entrepreneur who's looking at 2020 and what they may need to to think about or include or do. And I know you don't like to tell people what to do, but I'm asking you. (laughs) A white entrepreneur, I'm going to call it a a white female entrepreneur because that's who we serve as female entrepreneurs, black and white, and all female entrepreneurs, I should say. Anything that they should be mindful of. The, the, the Instagram moment happened. Yes. Now we need to go into 2021 and be intentional about the permanent ways in which this shift has caused us to shift the way we view the world, the way we view our work, the way we include people in our work. Any parting words for our listeners? I think for black female entrepreneurs, it is being able to be clear on what it is that you want people to know you for and to have the full audacity to tell the whole entire world about it and to own the fact that you deserve to be seen, represented and compensated for exactly that. For white female entrepreneurs, I think It is that concept of listening to what needs to happen and being willing to be active with that. I see a lot of white female entrepreneurs that want to diversify their staff. And so you have to understand what goes into creating a safe environment in order to invite and to keep those people there and and to make sure that they are safe emotionally, physically, and that they're compensated properly, even if they don't always ask for enough money, because sometimes... That's a thing too, but you have to listen to what's needed and not to assume what constitutes a safe work environment to you. Hmm. And we can all go to ericacorday.com to learn more about what that means. I'm going to leave that there. So before we let you go and thank you so much for this time, I just appreciate it so much, but 
just like to have our listeners get to know you a little bit more. So I'm going to ask five questions and just whatever comes to mind, share with us, please. So what's the number one trait that you think an entrepreneur must possess? Resiliency. If you are not mm. willing to test and try, screw it up and do it again, this is not the thing for you. That is so true <laughs> <laughs> and well said. And then what's the number one app you like to use uh, for any one of your businesses? Voxer. Voxer, 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 because yeah. I can talk to you, I can hear you, and there's no context lost in flat text. Oh, nice. Okay. I like that. And again, listeners, we will have all of Erica's tips here posted anytime she mentions something. And then I asked you earlier, what was the first task you hired out? And I think you said the successful one was the accountant, correct? Mm -hmm. Bookkeeper. Please have somebody to help you <laughs> to count your coins, have them go in the right places and how to manage and plan with your money. Wealth is the name of the game, but you cannot figure it out all by yourself. Let somebody that knows no. how to do this do it. Yeah. And I would say that's for those who are struggling to get their books together as the, as well as those who think money's coming in everything's fine all of the all of the above requires data driven accounting that can inform your next steps and and what you need to do and and your future so i'm with you on that one and then i have to ask everybody red vines or twizzlers twizzlers you know i've been talking to too many east coasters here i got oh, i <laughs> I lived in New York City and my my friends had to send me red vines because all I could find was Twizzlers. That I don't know. I, I, st I still love you, Erica, but I don't know. <laughs> and then we named this business Liberty. We want female founders to hear stories and find their own stories in this podcast. What does Liberty mean to you? Liberty is number two on the list as all of us seek the cornerstone of what the U.S. was built on, which was life liberty, and the mm. pursuit of happiness. We're all seeking life and the safety of that life as a given. And we're all on our way to figuring out what liberty looks like for all of us. Mm. Amen to that. And I'm, I'm with you on that, on that journey, my friend. Thank you for making this time for us. Listeners, I encourage you to check out Erica's podcast. I, in, I encourage you to check out her DEI coaching and consulting company. And gosh, if you're ever in Maryland, is it right? You got then it. You've got to go to Silver Immersions. <laughs> and Pause on the Play is the name of the podcast. I wanted to get that out as well. Thanks again, Erica. I'm looking forward to getting this into the ears of so many people. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Nada. Liberty For Her is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty For Her on Apple Podcasts. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty For Her is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flowers.